I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Wise Men's Day preview show, where we will be talking about uh, the visit to the Stadium of Light of West Bromwich Albion. But to address the elephant in the room, we're going to be talking also about the departure of Tony Mowbray and also who could be in the running to replace him um, tonight. I'm, I'm Richard Eastbrook, by the way. I'm joined by uh, Michael Luff. Hello, Michael. You all right? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm just thinking to myself now, like, it's incredible to think that this time last Thursday when the preview pod was done, like, we hadn't drawn the mags yet. Tony Mowbray was still the manager and things just felt like, oh, well, Mowbray's maybe he's under a bit of pressure, but the second mm. day, I know it felt like kind of inevitable, but I didn't think it would be like immediately after a Millwall game. So, Yeah, well, a week week is a long time in, in football, but it does feel a very, a very weak of a week. It's a week, isn't it? Like a lot's been packed into that week. Um, so, yeah, we're also joined by uh, by John Lambert. Hi, John, you're right. How you doing, Rick? Um, yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Just uh, deep in decorating the house with Christmas decorations, etc., which is yeah. a deep joy. Yes, yes. We're we're doing ours in phases, so we've we've got the everything but the tree is out. Sounds it's like just... a bad band from the night. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> Tracy Thorne on the top of the tree. No, we've got everything but the tree on the uh, uh, out at the moment, and the tree is going to be the next phase of it. Um, just to just to keep everyone calm and anxiety free, uh, pack all of that into a weekend, and it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, speaking about recipe for disaster, we're also joined by uh, Jimmy. I'm, I'm joking, Jimmy. You're, we've got Jimmy Ray on the phone as well. Hello, Jimmy. You're right. Yeah, man, I'm good. Thanks for that, Rick. Appreciate yeah, it. Sorry, <laughs> just seemed like an open goal. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you have to do. It. Yeah, I'm also doing my, doing my decorations in phases as well. I'm uh, doing the tree at the weekend, and we're doing the, the house stuff this week as well. So, looks like we've got something in common. Great. Right. Do we do we all, all go in for the for the massive lights outside and the projections and everything that seem to be the rigor now? I know, like where I am, it's it's pretty much the whole street except for us is lit up at the moment. We're doing a little bit outside, nothing too extravagant because we've, we've got like a terrace house. So I feel like I wouldn't want to sort of be blasting a, a huge amount of light across, you know, that's a, quite a small street. But yeah, we're going to have a few. Uh, my wife keeps going, going to the shop and coming back with more stuff. So it's going to be a fair amount by the end of the week. It's going to be up. Great. Well, I'm, 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 I'm resolutely not doing that because it's uh, <laughs> the electricity bill for a start. Right. Un- unthinkable so um that's true. exactly exactly so um tony mowbray uh, left monday night becoming the 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 13th manager to um to depart the club in the wise men's era 
uh, which is which is ten years, ten ten and a bit years. Should we uh, should we rifle through the managers that we've uh, managed to plow through in in that in that ten year spell? See if you can remember. In you'll probably remember remember all of these, but there might be some that uh, that you'd rather best bet for best forgot forget about. So first one in Martin O'Neill, who left in March 2013, just about two weeks after Wiseman say launched. Uh, Paolo De Canio didn't last too long. He left in September 2013. Gus Poyet, um, March 2015, he departed, then replaced by Dick Advocar, who left twice, um, but officially left in October 2015. I don't know if we're counting him twice. I'm probably not. Uh, Sam Allardyce, um, markedly more successful than the rest. With uh, He left in July 2016. Uh, David Moyes, uh, he left in May 2017. Sorry. And Simon Grayson famously left on on, on Halloween, October 2017, uh, replaced by Chris Coleman in April. He left in April 2018. This isn't great, is it? Um, and then, then slightly better times. Jack, actually, no, it wasn't any better times. Jack Ross was the ninth manager of, of the Wiseman's Eight era. He left in October 2019 to be replaced by uh, Phil Parkinson, who lasted just over a year, uh, left in November 2020. Lee Johnson was the 11th in January 2020. He left left in January 2022 to be replaced by Alex Neal, who obviously departed in August 2022. And Tony Mowbray, who left last at the end of the week. Out of those managers, can you tell me uh, there's only two managers to complete a full season? Uh, Can you name them? Jack Ross. Correct. Second one, or first one even. Martin O'Neill? No. Well, you might you might have complete might have completed one. Like Steve Brewster, but that was back in like twenty ten. Yeah. Well, um David Moyes. Oh I also get that. Of course. That. Of yeah. course. He Does it count though season. when you write the season off after one game? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh no, we've got we've got to count it. Um and more topically, there's only two of those managers to see two Christmases in the last ten years. Can you name them? Gus. Yeah, correct. Um, wouldn't be put on Parkinson, it wouldn't be. No. Uh, go on, Mickey. Martin O'Neill. Again, that might have been like including. I didn't include O'Neill because he left so soon after. Wiseman said launched. Oh, oh right, so so, just talk, right. I'm just because Sunderland didn't yeah, exist before before well, like well like the Premier League era. We only count <laughs> in between our very first podcast, which was recorded on a wax disc and then uh, transported around the city of Sunderland by Gareth on a on a on a pony. Um before we went digital when uh, Jake Humphrey invented podcasts in twenty twenty. So that's a little quick history lesson. But no, the second manager to see two Christmases in charge of Sunderland was Lee Johnson. Just it was very close because he was appointed in he was appointed in December um twenty 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 and then left in um January twenty uh, two. Yeah. So he, he just saw two Christmases. Think, doesn't he have the highest win percentage of any Sunderland manager in the recent decades? I'm sure I read someone say that online recently, Maybe. which I which I thought was Shocking, but also I guess kind of could make sense. That's the kind of thing that he's going to put on his CV, isn't it? Yeah. 
You just say, yeah, and we did. It's very Lee Johnson. But I just thought you wouldn't have said necessarily him, but at the same time, I suppose we did probably win quite a lot of games under him, even if they didn't necessarily come in in the right times in the Malian streaks. Yeah. Well, yes, streaky years. Where, where's he now? Fleetwood. Yeah. I don't know, losing, but was... He lost, losing a lot of games in a row again, I think, which is yeah. another thing that he doesn't like to do. I wonder if he was going to be preparing his CV to, to forward to the club. Or will it be dismissed out? Probably be dismissed out of hand, wouldn't it? You'd hope so. So, um, Mike, Michael, you haven't been on. Uh, you haven't been on pod this week. I know, Jim, you you were on a Monday night. What was what was your reaction to to Mowbray going? Um, as I say, there was an air of inevitability about it. There wasn't it. Mm. So, I kind of I was half expecting it, but it, it's one of those things like he doesn't get sacked on Saturday night. You know, like he gives his post match as usual. I know there was a lot of comments made in them. But again, you get through Sunday, Sunday night, you're still there, and you get through Monday till 10pm, so you kind of think, right, okay, so I can't save him sacking them now. I think he's going to hang on for a bit longer. And then it just came out the blue in that sense, you know, like, um, but I think my first reaction was one of, like, real disappointment, not necessarily because I think Tony Wolverine was a man who would have got us promoted, because I don't think he's got necessarily a track record of doing that, but on a personal level, I was absolutely gutted because you just listed off all the managers there. And since Sam Allardyce, I don't think I've liked the Sunderland manager just on a personal level. He was just saying a real yeah. good, honest, and say a bloke. And some people might think that's a bit twee, but it does go a long way. You know, when you've got a manager who represents your club, you can be proud of. And, you know, he got on really well with like the, all like the local major, like the national major, like them. Like he just seems to have a really good reputation in the game, you know, for just being a good, solid football manager and a great human being. Um, he got us playing some fantastic football. I mean, last season was beyond all of our expectations, let's be honest. And he kind of he exceeded my expectations in his capability as a coach in the solutions that he found to playing with no centre forward and playing with no centre halves back in the yeah. last season. And the turnaround that he engineered um, after we went on a run of, I think, one win in 10. And I think we. We only lost one and eleven at the end of the season. It was absolutely brilliant. And that Luton game, um, I think I wrote quite like a long article about it at the time. It was I hate this kind of like now all oh, we've got a club back and all that because you have so many false dawns. But that game was the first time for I think since we're in the Premier League where I thought like this is the Sunderland that like kind of I've experienced like throughout my life and these are the big moments we can have and this is the size of a football club we can still be. Um, so really, I was absolutely devastated in that sense because he did a fantastic job. But it's very clear that the club want to go in a different direction. Um, you know, it's a bit of a trend throughout the championship as well. Um, I did a little bit of kind of digging before and we came on the pod and it turns out that actually there's nine managers in the league now under the age of 40. So it, right. is, a trend. it is a trend now that like younger managers are taking precedent and I just think we're almost after the links in the summer looking for an excuse to get rid of him. And I, and I truly yeah. kind of believe that. Um, so I know I've given a bit of a long-winded one there, so I'm not really surprised. Um, I'm not even saying I necessarily disagree with it because, as I say, like I want us to have the ambition to get promoted. But I do also agree with what Chris was saying the other night about how it's sometimes when you look at our off the field activity, it doesn't align with the idea that we're going for promotion this season. You know, so now the pressure really is on like the new man to come in. If you've sat the manager and you've said three points off the playoffs is not acceptable for this club, the new manager has to take us on. And I think that's going to be the big challenge. But no, um, thanks, Tony, basically you did a great job and um, you brought a lot of pride back to the club. I fully agree. Fully agree. Well said, Mick. 
Well, John, if if the next manager is going to be under forty, that that rules us two out. Right, that's it. Dream's dead. Yeah. What what was what? How was how are you feeling about it Monday night? And obviously now now we're in now we're into Thursday. Has, has it changed at all? Well, a friend of mine who I'm in a group chat with said he was he was shocked but not surprised, which kind of was the yeah. sort of phrase that summed it up. Um, we know that he's been quite philosophical about it himself in that he was recruited that way. You know, they, they'd obviously done some homework on him. Um, I kind of have to echo the sentiments of of Mickey in that he did bring a kind of sense of pride to the team and he's, he's kind of affiliated to the area. And I think that kind of goes a long way when you've been going on this League One managerial merry-go-round and also what on the face of it looked like a, a kind of detachment from Alex Neal when he left, where it, it was almost like left without any shred of emotion. And it was very, just a very methodical way of leaving a club. Um, mm. So given the emotions of a Wembley promotion and how good that felt to them for someone just to leave without necessarily any part in words or care about the club, to have someone that come in like, Tony Mowbray, who yes is affiliated to another Northeast team, but didn't seem to matter, and that um, and that's why I think in in the main he'll be missed by a lot of fans. But also as modern football fans, we are aware that the shelf life these days of of managers is 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 very short, and obviously he's a head coach, and as this whole setup is, that it, it's a fluid position. A few days down the line, I feel a bit more comfortable with him not being here, and I, I think he'll be absolutely fine. I don't think you know we have to worry about his future as such. For us as a club, I think the shortlist is pretty interesting, and you know, with a young team, the prospect of getting in a younger manager, potentially bilingual, potentially more um, attuned. To, to having maybe a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and not one way of playing and then sling on three or four subs. You know, we're ready for a change, I think. I think there was a bit of predictability, and I think we are ready for something. And it's come prior to a transfer window. Not that I say we're going to spend money, but it Mm. is handy to have a manager come in prior to a window where they may be able to have some influence on the current squad. So yeah, you talk about you talk about re- potential replacements. Um, as of Skybet at six o'clock, um, there's there's quite a few names in the in the in the in the frame. The top, the favourite at the moment, eleven to ten, is Julian Sable, um, from uh, from Nice. Uh, Kim Helberg, there's four to one. Stephen Schumacher from Plymouth is five to one. Will Still of uh, of Reims is six to one. Paul Heckingbottom sacked from Sheffield United on Tuesday is eight. To one, uh, Graham Potter twelve to one, never going to happen. John Eustace is twelve to one. Um, best to leave him alone for now. Uh, Nathan Jones is twelve to one as well. Uh, Frank Lampard sixteen, and Luca Elsner also sixteen. Um, Steve Evans thirty three to one. By the way, if anyone if anyone wanted to know, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm just glad he's part of the conversation. I mean, he'll, I'm sure he'll be. Whipping his CV up the A19 as we speak, because he won't use email. Resolutely won't use email. It'll, it'll be on paper. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't have any knowledge of, of quite a few of those 
those those those people I've I've, I've read about the individual individual achievements of the likes of Will Still and and uh, I know a little bit about Julian Sable, but not not enough to have any kind of authority. Mick, you said you've done a little bit of uh, research, or you've done some fervent googling. Can you uh, can you shed some light on those for us? Yeah, it is very much frantic Googling, and I think that probably should yeah. be the title of the podcast because yeah. I, I think it, it's the first time I can remember in a long time where I'm just looking at the realistic kind of people we're bringing in and just think, like, I've literally, yeah, I've heard of them, but I, I just have no knowledge of them whatsoever. And this is coming from someone who's, like, self-admitted a bit of a football geek, you know what I mean? And I've, like, not heard of some of these people. Um, but anyway, like, Will still, like, I genuinely, like, think he would be an exciting, like, progressive appointment. Um He's a great success story. Like, obviously, he was a bit like memeified last season, if that's even the word. And the whole thing about not having his coaching badges, but he's got them on board now. Um, and more impressively, he's took um, he's took the team he's currently in charge of to fifth in the top tier of French football. You know, that's like a decent pedigree, and he's done it from. Again, this isn't my knowledge whatsoever. This is just me going on like a scouting website and just looking. And he plays a four-two-three-one, which kind of like suits us um, in possession. He's very front foot. Um, and in attacking scenarios, apparently he likes uh, the centre attacking midfielder to play almost like as a second striker when we're attacking in possession, which is interesting because Bellingham does kind of make them run sometimes. So I wonder with his yeah. physicality as well, we don't really have a, like a physical option up front for starting games. So I wonder if we'll see him kind of getting in the in the box a little bit more and that he, apparently the full-backs and the wingers are quite interchangeable. So it creates a space between the full-back and the centre-half so we can like get some good runs in there and they take a lot of shots from inside the penalty area. Like again, like some people don't like talk about this, but for a team that create like high XJ chances rather than it being like a case of like taking pot shots from outside the area. So people might be a little bit um, frustrated with that. Um, like an E-Favors uh, present style. But what I thought was um, interesting is that according to this report I read, he's a lot more interested in getting the ball forward and getting the ball forward quite quickly. As a like, He's not too precious about playing out from the back. He's comfortable doing it, but if there's a better option, he doesn't mind it. So he's not like rigid in that regard. So I think mm-hmm. he could, um, I think he definitely, from the name listed, would be the appointment that got me most excited. In terms of Kim Helberg, again, he's a very impressive guy. Started coaching, he's 23. Um, and at the club, he, he's at, currently got back-to-back promotions with them. And again, he has them consolidated in fifth in the top division now. And this is a team that when he took over was in the third tier. So, you know, very, very impressive guy. He's done a great job. Don't know huge about, about him tactically. Um, apart from, he again, favours like a lot of high, prof- um, high press, a lot of possession, like a lot of young managers do now. So, again, he'd be an interesting appointment. Um, but I think this is definitely what we're going to have to get used to. Because like I say, the profile for recruiting managers now in the championship, I think gone are the days where it was kind of considered essential to get somebody who had like promotions on the CV from the championship yeah. or had someone who knew the league. I think clubs are moving away from that. And of course, the issue with that is, and I think as well, sorry, before I kind of go on to make my next point, I think there's a lot of managers now who haven't um, had prior experience of coaching first-team football coming through. Because even your older ones, like Daniel Farker, for instance, he came straight from Borussia Dortmund, second team into managing Norwich. And the same with um, Wagner as well. He did the same thing. So I think the the trend has very much like changed in that regard. But the issue I was going to say with that is they can't all be successful. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 
it, it's kind of the wheel's been reinvented. We haven't reinvented the wheel. We've just kind of jumped on it. So it, it will be a case of if this appointment doesn't work out, it won't necessarily be just because we've appointed an experienced manager. It'll be just because we haven't got the one that quite fits us. But it is it is a high gamble, especially when you've sacked a very popular manager like Tony Mowbray, who was fantastic with young players who really, like John said, bought into what the area was about, bought into the style of football that we want to play as fans. Um, so if you replace a guy like that who was three points off the playoffs and hasn't done an awful lot wrong, the pressure is really, really on now for this um, appointment to work. And, and whoever we appoint, I really hope it does. But I would certainly suggest that um, there will be lots more frantic Googling going on. There will definitely be like a young fellow that takes a job who we probably don't know very much about. I don't think it'll be a name necessarily. Yeah, I yeah. think um, with with that, the um, the gamble, I, I 100% agree. I mean, I agree basically with everything you've said there. I, mean, I think I'll just add as well, the gamble doesn't just go on the side of a young manager because there's plenty of appointments have been made recently of experienced managers that it's gone, you know, wrong in the championship as well. Um, not so much uh, Tony Moby, but you've got to look at like, you know, um, various other, you mean, you, you, if you look at sort of Sheffield Wednesday, um they had Darren Moore. Sorry, um, Sheffield Wednesday reported Danny Roll now. Um, I believe his name is the German guy. He's obviously fits the profile, the type of manager we're looking at. But um, previous, who was, there? who was their manager before then, actually? Because they had Darren Moore. There was a part I was going to make. He's obviously got the Huddersfield job. He's quite an experienced manager. He's not necessarily started too well at Huddersfield. You've got um, Leicester top of the league with with Ferroni, who obviously is very, very, very inexperienced. I think for me, the the gamble would be regardless of whether you've heard of them or not. I think the position at which we're losing the manager or you're choosing to lose our manager is the key. It's it whether it's a big name, a household name, they could easily not work either. I'm I quite like in a way that it's managers I don't really know a great deal about because I'm not sure yeah. of the ones who. Are you know the household names? If you like, are there really any exciting appointments out there that you can think? Oh yeah, because like Mickey said, gone are the days where it's like, well, that guy's done well, he did well at the championship five years ago, therefore he must still be a good manager now. Type thing. I think that that is quite um quite that would be quite a gamble as well. I mean, we've made appointments like that before. If you look at your Parkinsons, your Graysons, your Coleman's, um, even you know, you could say Alex Neal was an appointment that did work that, but then obviously he he didn't. Obviously, stay for long in the championship. Tony Mowbray, to an extent, was that as well. I mean, if you look, he's he's managed, you know, managed obviously the most games in the league. Um, but when was the last time he actually did get a team promoted? It was what was it West Brom, maybe? Um, yeah, I, I think it was. That yeah. was probably best part of twenty years ago. Yeah, he came, he came. Well, I say he came close to the middles, but he didn't really. It was yeah, he didn't, and, didn't and, come close at all. And that just sort of like kind of gets. Get, kind of feeds into what I'm saying. I think the gamble is, it, it, it's a gamble because of what we've done, but I, I, it, I, I can't lie, I do think it is quite exciting in a way because I think the ceiling um, that we have as, 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 a, as a club is is huge. Um, obviously, that will be the main attraction for a guy like Will Still, who currently is managing in the top division in France. Clearly, um, he you know, is managing, at, you'd, you'd say, is a higher level than the championship, but obviously the club he's managing will have a, a lower ceiling You'd say in you know in 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 terms of what he can do with them in France, he's probably at, at where as good as it can be with them, and obviously with the with league on being um, a less high profile top division than than the Premier League. Obviously, he'd be taking the Sunderland job should he choose to do so, with a view to getting us into the Premier League, and then obviously that in itself is a huge achievement. And then obviously he's managing in the biggest league in the world with a club with a with the infrastructure, fan base, etc. To to you know, in theory at least, compete in a, a reasonable 
level in the Premier League. Um, whereas I think with Reims, obviously he's doing well, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're they're the type of club who would normally be anywhere near where they are now and probably don't have um, the cachet, if you like, that managing a club like Sunderland would do. Um, so I think it's it's quite an attractive job. Like, and, and obviously the, there's concerns with recruitment, um, but as we've sort of been over, a lot of managers, certainly younger ones, will be expecting to work within a structure. It's quite old-fashioned now to have a manager who has much say at all in transfers in terms of like they're not being a director of football, they're not being a recruitment infrastructure in place. If you look in the Premier League, even even the managers, even Klopp and Guardiola, they don't run Liverpool and Man City's transfers. They obviously will have a say, but they manage the team and there are guys above them who do the recruitment and that's pretty much from the very top of the Premier League all the way down. I think Sheffield United are the only team in the Premier League who don't have anyone above the manager and I think that was one of the main reasons that um, Paul Hackingbottom struggled there towards the end as he was literally having to do everything himself. That's from recruitment through to managing contracts, through to dealing with, obviously, the press, doing the actual manager jobs and then managing the team as well. So I think there is a clear reason why um, it, we've gone that way. And I think younger managers, and obviously Tony Mowbray was happy to be a head coach, but at the same time, um, as we've been over, like he, he, although he has done well in the championship, he's obviously very, very highly rated championship manager. He's got a body of experience. Has he ever really shown what we, you know, the ability to to be the guy who can take us up? Um, I, that was probably why I mean, Mickey and John have both said, I think you said it as well. I think that's probably why it's probably like, in a way, we're quite comfortable with with the change happening, provided the change is the right one, because I think Mobe probably had reached a natural conclusion. I was certainly coming towards at the end of a natural conclusion. Um, it was obviously shocking news at the time, but I think um, we've got to just, obviously we have to look forward to now. And, I, and like I said, I just don't think not having heard of a manager is a barrier to them being a good manager. I mean, every, you know, you could go as far as say every manager at some point has been the first appointment. Like I saw somebody say, imagine if, you know, somebody had taken Jurgen Klopp straight from Mainz, if you'd have taken Mourinho when he's managing UD Lera before he was at Porto. You know, there's the, yeah. all of every manager has the first big job that they get. And obviously you can try and get someone who's done it somewhere else before, but like I just said before, that's not no guarantee they're going to do well either. Um, I think it's more important to get somebody who's in tune with the style of play we want. And Mickey, there's some great info there on obviously what's still in, and um, Helberg will, will likely bring. Um, I'm not too sure about Julian Sable. I think he's obviously was easy a little bit older. He's still quite young. He thinks he's 43. So, I mean, by the age of the other two guys, he's he's obviously a bit older. I don't know a great deal about him other than he's primarily been a, an assistant manager, but obviously he's doing so um, for a team currently in the top four in France. And he's um, obviously been around a fair few clubs in France, I think, you know, doing doing the same job for a while um, as an assistant manager, you know, in the top division. So assistants will tend to come to the point where they want to start having their own crack at it and if he's at 43 he's probably the age if he's not going to leave it much longer is he if he doesn't want to take a job and and there's a, and uh, without knowing much about him I, I kind of like trust the diligence of of the people doing the recruitment you know to if if he's been someone highlighted I very much doubt we're the only club who'll have looked at him and um, you know he's, he's obviously doing something right if he's if he's working at Nice and they're doing well he's obviously not the manager but he's certainly going to be hands-on so yeah I think it's about who's going to work with the players we've got the lingual thing can be important as well. I mean, I don't necessarily think it was a barrier, particularly with Mowbray, but I think a lingual presence could, could enhance things. For example, bedding in of players, tactical instructions, that sort of thing. 
Um, part of Will Still's memification, obviously, was him doing his team talk half in French, half in English, back to back, which was very impressive, although quite hard to follow at the same time, I think, for somebody um, watching it on a video and hearing both. But I think, you know, it's the kind of thing that is quite cool, I guess. And yeah, I'm, um, I, like John said, I kind of like, I feel a bit better about it a couple of days on. I think I'm ready yeah. now to see who we get. And, you know, Mowbray was brilliant for us, but um, I can't pretend to be like, Oh no, the world's falling falling in now that he's gone. I think there is definitely space for us to improve. And um yeah, I think the recruitment obviously there has been issues, but at the same time, um there's there's, there's managers managers can we, we, you know, it's not like we're 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 a completely threadbare squad. There's options there, it's just the experience, but then you know, there's there's more than one way to to skin a cat, I feel like. So maybe the new manager may have new ways around it that, that Mobe wasn't able to to figure out. So I'm I'm all for it. And just want to emphasize the fact that I think that if we're only gonna want managers that we've heard of, um it's gonna be quite a, a small pool, isn't it really? Yeah. Let's be fair. Well one thing we do know is is that there's not going to be an appointment before the weekend. Um as is as far as things go, I think it'll be very, very impressive if they do manage to turn around an appointment in in time for for Saturday. Uh, for the visit of West Brom, so so the guys in the dugout will be uh, Mike Proctor and Mike Dodds, the two Mikes uh, ride again. So that that'll be that'll be interesting. We're gonna we're gonna have a quick break, come back, and we're gonna preview that West Brom game. Uh, where we've got some insight from the West Brom fans. So uh, see you after the break. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wise Men Say podcast. On Saturday, West Bromwich Albion will be visiting Sunderland Stadium of Light. To give us the inside track on all things Hawthorns, we've got Adrian Goldberg from the Liquidator podcast. Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg. I present the strictly 100% unofficial fan-powered West Bromwich Albion podcast called The Liquidator. And they also present a podcast about football finance, governance and politics with a fellow that some Sunderland fans may remember, a guy called Charlie Methven. Remember him? Yeah, he presents it with me and he's very good as well. So do check it out. Where's the money gone podcast? My thoughts on West Brom's season so far is that we've exceeded 
any sensible expectation. Of course, having been in the Premier League not that long ago, some supporters expect us to mount a challenge every year. And we do have the stature and the history that suggests that we should be up at the top of this division. But the financial problems behind the scenes are massive at our club. And we had to let go Dara O'Shea, one of our best defenders in the summer, for £7 million to Burnley. And we got rid of quite a few other players in the summer as well. So to be challenging for the playoffs as we are is a real success story. We're happy, very happy with Carlos Corberan. My expectations and hopes for the transfer window are simply that we hold on to the players that we have. We had to borrow 20 million quid simply to keep the club afloat last year. We've now had to borrow another seven and a half to eight million simply to pay the wages and keep the lights on at the football club. So we are in a dire financial situation. It would be nice to think that we could add a striker to the squad. That's probably the one thing that we lack really, an absolutely clinical striker in the absence of Daryl DK. We also do have Josh Madger, uh, ex Mackham up front for us. Uh, he hasn't really fired yet, so a striker wouldn't go amiss. But truthfully, if we can simply hold on to the players that we've got, that will be a good transfer window for us. My thoughts on Sunderland's season so far is that I'm shocked, I'm devastated that you've got rid of Tony Mowbray. He's a real Hawthorne's hero, got us promoted one season scoring 100 goals, the team that Mowbray managed when we got out of the Championship into the Premier League. So we love him in West Bromwich. I think he's done a great job at Sunderland, getting you out of League One with a very young squad and now establishing you as a proper Championship team. I'm sure you'll have your own reasons as to why Mowbray has gone, but from my objective distance, I have to say, it seems like a crazy decision. I expect both sides to finish roughly where they are now in the table. Albion a fifth. I have said on my podcast that I do think second place isn't out of the question. I do think Ipswich are catchable. Leicester aren't. But truthfully, we've had a massive injury pile-up this season. Matt Phillips is the latest on the treatment table. He'll be out now for four months and he's been so important for us this season. I think we'll do well to stay where we are and finish fifth. But I think because of the management of Carlos Colbrant, we will stay there. I think, obviously, with Sunderland, it does very much depend on who you appoint. But I see you as a team just outside the playoff positions, pretty much where you are at the moment. My thoughts on where Sunderland need to watch out this weekend are the explosive players that we have, like Grady Diangana, like Jeremy Sarmiento, who is on loan from Brighton, who scored an incredible goal against Cardiff in midweek recently. But truthfully, Albion are very much a team. It isn't about star individuals. We are just very tough to play against. We're very mean and tight in defence, we'll close you down and we can hit you hard on the break. My prediction for the weekend is a draw. I'm not sitting on the fence. Albion have improved very much of late on the road, having had a sticky start to the season on their travels. But 
the absence of Matt Phillips and the, the stresses and strains of a tough campaign so far are starting to show a little bit. That said, I think Sunderland have clearly, given that they've sacked Tony Mowbray, are not pulling up any trees at the moment. So I'm predicting honours even, 1-1, a draw. The song most associated with West Bromwich Albion is The Lord's My Shepherd. It's not a chant, it is an actual song, it is a hymn. You may know the story that at some point in the 70s, Albion became the first club to play on a Sunday. And there were complaints from local vicars and priests and so on. One of them had the idea of saying, oh well, maybe the Albion supporters can remember the church by singing the Lord's My Shepherd. And that then became the Baggies hymn and we sing it every time we score a goal. Come on, you baggies. very sombre end to that break there because uh, their their choice of song is The Lord is My Shepherd which is better known Vicar as the theme tune yes to the Vicar of Dibley also played at uh, Queen Elizabeth II's funeral um, so so a bit, of a, mix, a bit of a mixed bag but um, uh, Adrian presents um, the, the liquidated podcast but he also presents a podcast with um, Charlie Methvin our, our previous uh, executive director called Where's the Money Gone?, which is a question that a lot of Sunderland fans have asked themselves. West Brom, they are currently fifth in the league. Um, we're five points away from them in ninth. Uh, they lost to Leicester last time out, um, but they're still looking in decent shape. Jim, what's what's your uh, what's your take on on West Brom? Yeah, I think um, they're one of the... Well, I mean, if you, you, know, if you listen to slash read, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, kind of neutral... Um, Fan uh, podcasts, whatever who do who cover the championship. Um, I think they're one of the most highly rated teams at the minute in there in terms of their form, the way they play. Obviously, Corbrand's a highly rated manager. Um, mm. they, they, they don't give up many chances. I think they've got one of the lowest uh, XG against figures. So, in other words, they give away fewer chances than pretty much anybody else in the league does. Um, while also not necessarily having what, the best attacking numbers, but if, I guess if they keep the, the scores to zeros and ones, as they say, then um, they're always going to have a chance of winning them. On the other side, um, I'd say that the um, their form didn't didn't start the season well, but they have they have picked up quite markedly. Um, I think the squad the squad's obviously a lot more experienced than ours. They've got um, a few players in there who've been around the block a bit. They've also got some exciting younger players as well. They've got that Brandon Thomas Asante, who obviously was good when we played them last year. They signed him from Salford in League Two. They've got a couple of younger players coming through as well. They've also got experienced midfielders. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a tough game. Um, what I'd say uh, with us is obviously we, despite not winning any of the last three games, we have 
um, I know people don't necessarily like discussions of stats, but I think it is quite instructive if used as like a, if you look at a trend over over more than one game. I think we, we've we've created more um, chances, we've had a higher XG and all that sort of stuff than the teams that that have that we haven't beaten yet. So I think it's inevitable that if we keep playing as we have been, we will beat somebody soon. I think West Brom, good as they are at keeping teams out, I think you could also argue that. Maybe they are due to concede a couple more goals than they have been recently, albeit caveat they did lose to Leicester. But I think overall they have they have had a good defensive run. So I think there's there's it's going to be a tough game, but I think there's definitely some uh, there's something there for us. Um, the early kickoff obviously isn't ideal. I don't think necessarily that games that start early um, in the day necessarily start the fastest. Although of course our Southampton five 0 win was the early kickoff, so if we can yeah. start anywhere near how we did in that game. That would obviously be great, but let's not uh, have a repeat of the Middlesbrough game, which was, I believe, the last early kickoff that we had before this one. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously, you know, people like to say I'm, I'm positive, whatever, but I, I do genuinely think that it'll be, this is going to be a tough game. But I do, I do also think there's definitely something there for us. Um, I don't know what you guys think, John. What, what's what's your uh, your take on West Brom? I know they've um, they've had to sell quite a lot of players in the in the summer that to make make a lot of. And money back, and I think they've taken on a loan as well because I think they're. I'm assuming their parachute money ran out in in the summer, so they had to move on um, a, a couple of players and and shore things up. So I think a lot of the fans, uh, um, Adrian himself, in in the in the, the the recorded bit just then, he was saying that he's quite surprised that that West Brom find themselves so high in the league um, after coming so close last season, um, thinking that was their gonna, gonna be their last chance for a while. So so John, what's what's your what's your take on it? Yeah, well they're quite an experienced championship <laughs> team and it is tough when the parachute money does kind of run out, you're kind of in a financial black hole in the championship. Um there I think they're in the midst of potential takeover as well at the moment, which can always cause a bit of unrest at the club. I think why they're doing so well, um, they haven't lost back-to-back games this year. There's never been a position right. of panic. Um, they drew a few early doors, but um they've started picking up results in the games they've lost recently, Southampton, um, Leicester. There's no disgrace in losing to sides coming down from the Premier League. And they have turned over Ipswich recently, which um it, seems to be quite a feat this season because they seem to be planned for everybody. But um, no, I mean, they're a good side. There's quite a few kind of household names that I recognise over the years. And I'm quite, quite relieved that um, Jeb Wallace isn't playing because I seem to remember him torturing us at home last year because he, he's one of the best yeah, crosses really of the football good, yeah. outside mm-hmm. of the Premier League. Um, DK or Dyke, as Stephen Goldsmith would like to call him. Um <laughs> He he's not available. They have got a few injuries, probably half a dozen players out, and that's handy when pretty much for most of the season we've had three or four key players out injured ourselves. So it's it, nice to know that we're not completely um, outnumbered on that front. Um, why are they up there? I think there's a good chance that the division is. We keep saying we said in the past before it's a bit of a basket case division, and if you put a few run of results together, which they did during November October, you you kind of can stay on the right side of a big group of teams, and yeah, you know they're um they're not disgracing themselves like Jimmy says they don't concede a lot. Um, I don't think they necessarily score a lot. Yeah, we've got 31 goals this season, but I think they've got second best second best defence in the league behind the leaders. Um, and that means you aren't going to lose a lot of games. Um and without 
dropping two points from draws. They're mainly picking up probably winning two, losing one is the kind of form they're on at the moment, then they're always going to be the right side of the other teams in the top half of the table. Um, so I would expect a pretty, pretty tricky game on Saturday. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, on on the, the subject of, of teams putting a little bit of a run together, uh, Watford supporting a former colleague of mine got in touch the other night and said after after the Sunderland game, where there was some meek in defeat against us, um, Watford, the the Watford manager at the time locked the team in in the dressing room and had a big inquest. And they're they're now level on points with us. So from being absolutely nowhere, they're now it you know three points off off the playoffs just like we are. It's it's a good time for West Brom to put a run together, but that that could be undone so quickly, Michael, couldn't it? It could be, you know, if if Sunderland put a run together the complexion will change. It's not all doom and gloom. Um, and as far as, as, as much as people say the top two are locked in, I, th- I still think, I still think there's, there's, you know, there's five places to play for. Yep. So, so make, make, do you agree, Mick? Are you, are you as positive as I am? I'm not as positive <laughs> as you are, mate, though. And Jim? <laughs> but no, I, look, I think with West Brom, it's just shown the, They've really just shown the value of having a good manager and how important that can still be. Because, like you say, they've had real recruitment issues. They've had issues in terms of like cash flow issues with the ownership, and a lot of West Brom fans were thinking it was going to be a long, hard season. But this is again where sometimes you don't need to have this like overarching like style or brand of football. Like Carl Brand is an out-and-out pragmatist, and I mean that in a good way. I don't mean that he plays bad, negative football necessarily but he's very good. He did a similar job at Huddersfield where he goes in, looks exactly what a team needs and he puts the issues right. So I think against such a tactically disciplined, well-drilled side, I think it will be quite tough to get a result at the weekend. I think they're not an ideal team to play when you don't have a like a proper manager in place. Um, having said that, I mean, they are very defensively solid, but they seem to get a little bit carried away against Leicester last week when they equalised late on and then from a corner, they just chucked everybody forward and Leicester caught them on the break in the 94th minute. So... It, they went toe to with Leicester, so hopefully they'll do that um, against us, but you just don't know. I mean, I do agree with you, though, in that, like, it's not a disaster at this point. I mean, after the Birmingham game, we went back in sixth in the league, you know what I mean? We hadn't been in brilliant form before that. Mm. So, th- there's a chance we can put a few run, a few games together and go back up the league, but equally, what is difficult in this division, like, we're already on a run of um, three games where we haven't won. And we're now going into two extremely tough games against some very good sides in West Brom and Leeds. So my fear is I don't want to be going into the run of fixes after that thinking, my God, we need to win four games in a row to get ourselves back on track because you'd be, you could be in a situation where suddenly you go from being three points behind to six, seven, and then it gets a little bit more difficult to catch up. But in terms of um, the game on Saturday, like I say, it's not an ideal game at all to be playing against a, ta- a side with such tactical discipline as West Brom. However, I'll, I'll, I'll never write a game off. You know, we still do have like quality players, um, but it's a bit of a, a weird one as well because usually when a manager goes, you see like, the weight of the world lift off the shoulder of, shoulders of the players. Yeah. That's not going to happen really with Mowbray because he was a very mm. popular manager and he didn't play like a negative style of football. We've still been creating like a lot of chances. Our XG is still really good. Um the strikers aren't getting the opportunities, but that's not necessarily... It's a bit of both. Mowbray could have maybe done what to get it out of them, but like Stephen pointed out in the pod last week, 
good strikers score goals in bad times. And unfortunately, what we've got is we've got four young centre-forwards who are all trying to clear themselves into form and they haven't got an experienced head to bounce off to kind of show them that little bit of nouse to take the pressure off them. So I do think it's um, difficult in that regard. But we do still have to back ourselves and realise that we've got players the likes of Patrick Roberts, the likes of Jack Clark, who can still be the best players in the league on the day. And we've got to back ourselves to do it. And I think the crowd will be right behind them because I think... Um, even though we've had a bad run of results, I think they're still a very likeable young team and they don't throw the towel in. And I think they're, um, they're quite resilient as well. Um, and I, I'm hoping we get a similar performance, hopefully better results, but a similar performance when Alex Nail left. There was loads of rumours yeah. going around that um, the players were really unhappy at him leaving, etc. Um, but we turned in an absolutely exceptional performance and we were unlucky to to lose the game, so hopefully we'll, we'll see a little bit more of that because I think actually, arguably, even more than the result, I want to see a good performance because Birmingham, I think, was the last time where I came, and Birmingham obviously aren't a great team. I think that's the last time I came away thinking, yeah, we really played well and deserve, really deserved to win the game there. Like, Huddersfield was a grim watch. Plymouth, we had the woodwork twice, but you were down there, Richard. It, it wasn't ideal, was it? Um, we just didn't... No, no. What I really want to see from the lads and to give like the new manager coming in, whoever it may be, a bit of heart. We need to see togetherness. We need to see a performance. And that's what I want to see on Saturday more than anything. I want to see a good performance, plenty of intent, you know, like plenty of desire. And hopefully, as I say, we can give some good foundations for the next guy to come in. Just, um, I know I've rambled on a bit, but I just want to make one final point. I do, however, think I understand there's got to be a recruitment process and it's not ideal obviously, to be sounded out managers when um, you've already got a manager in place. I don't mean that from a moral point of view because everyone does it, but it's like you, you never know at that exact moment whether you'll be able to just seamlessly bring a manager in. But it is disappointing that we've sacked them on the Monday, but we're now not going to have a manager in charge to take the game on Saturday. And this is such a crucial t um, time of the season. And when we, as a football club, with this structure, we're supposed to pride ourselves on really good forward planning we're supposed yeah. to pride ourselves on having like A scenario, B scenario, C scenario, and you're always kind of like ready for a transition and nothing catches you by surprise. It is yeah. a little bit disappointing that we could be talking about even by the Leeds game, we might not have somebody physically in the dugout taking the game. Yeah, that, I, I digress a little bit here, but you look at uh, when clubs say, and I know Christian Speakman said it during the, the last but one managerial cycle when when, it, when they were looking for um, uh, Lee Johnson's replacement that it was disrespectful I think it was Lee Johnson's replacement when he said it was disrespectful to be looking around at other managers while a manager's in post um, or certainly talking to other managers uh, if you look at this week Chris Wilder uh, just took over from Paul Heckenbottom uh, instantly replaced him uh, same press press statement Heckenbottom out Wilder in the exact same thing happened when Neil Warnock left Middlesbrough Neil Warnock left, Wilder was in. So Chris Wilder, uh, an old school football man, quite happy talking to other clubs. Yeah, I think while, he was at work, though, wasn't he? Yeah, think, yeah. But whereas the managers we're looking at are in jobs, it seems, yeah. aren't they? So it's probably not as easy to... I don't get what you're saying, but I mean, with I, I, I agree to an extent, but all I'd say the caveat with that is Wilder's, Wilder was obviously available there and then. Yeah. If, we've got to, if we've got to negotiate getting somebody out of a contract, there's only so much of that you can probably do while you haven't actually got a job to offer them. Yeah, that, that's a, in place. It's a really good point. It's a, it's just a bit frustrating, isn't it? That, oh, that it is, start, yeah. We seem to be starting the cycle. I guess they've been working from a shortlist that they'd already kind of predetermined. I think that's on. the work that's been done. 
Um, yeah. I would have liked it to be quicker, but obviously you don't know. Like, you know, for example, if we're trying to pay compensation, um, the team we're paying compensation might be wanting to delay it because they may want to find somebody to replace the guy that we're taking. And, you know, it can all delay, can't it? Cause, and, and as much as I'd love it to have been quick, I mean, if if, if there was a guy, a free agent like Wilder was, um, I guess you, it, Tony Moby, we appointed him straight after Alex Neal. He was obviously not currently managing anyone either. So obviously he was able to take the job without any sort of issues from his end. Yeah. Whereas Will Still, Kim Helberg, uh, Julian Sable, they're all currently in work at other clubs. So um, I don't necessarily want to be making excuses for what could be just slow recruitment from our end. But I think when you compare it, I think you have to also recognise that we, unless there are free agent managers we're looking at that just aren't in the top, in the betting and we are being slow. It might just be that it isn't as simple as just, right, Tony's gone. Um, we'll still come on. Let's get you in for for Saturday because because Reams might be like, hold on, um, we haven't got a manager to place him. Yeah. Um, so we're going to drag out the contract. We're going to make you wait to tell you how much compensation we're going to pay. You know, all mm. different things like that. And same way, sometimes buying players isn't that simple because teams want to know who they're replacing their players with um, before they sell them. Often, which is often why a lot of deals get done late in windows and whatever. And I guess this is part of the risk with us parting company with Mowbray, but at the same time. Um, I don't know how much is you can blame the R side for in terms of getting mm. these managers when we don't know what issues they're having trying to get these guys out of their clubs. Because, but you're right. If it's not if it's not happened in a week or so, you'd have to think something has gone wrong. But um, I just wanted to 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 make a point just with Wilder because I know he's he was clearly wait chomping at the bit to get back at Blades and the same with yeah. Middlesbrough as well, wasn't he? But yeah, I suppose that is Chris Wilder. He's not a. Uh, not, he's not the most, uh, probably not the hardest guy to convince if you just saw him a big no, shiny no, tape back. He is a, he is, he is a Sheffield United fan as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like that probably played a part. Um, I just think it's it's quite fanciful to suggest that they they decided to sack Heckingbot and then they just rang yeah. the, the big bat phone to Chris Wilder. Right, <laughs> Press the Wilder button. Yeah. yeah. Well, could we announce it today? I think it would be a little bit more protracted than that. But yeah, um, in the dugout on Saturday, we're going to have Mike Dodds again. Um, we had him for the. It was he was in charge for the for the Norwich game, wasn't he? It was when when well, technically Alex Neal was in charge, but it was him he wasn't and Martin, here. Him and Martin Canning took the game, right, yeah. So he was going as well, Canning. So that was really ideal, wasn't it? Yeah, so you see, you see that happened quite a lot when they stick like the the former manager's right hand man in in caretaker te- charge. You think like. Your skin's not really in. You're not really in this, are you? Yeah, but at least, at least with with Mike Dodds, you've got a you know someone who's been part of that coaching setup and also is well liked within the within the playing squad. He's not going to be a, an unfamiliar face. Um, are you expecting any changes on Saturday? Do you think he's going to go four four two and you know throw throw everything out the window that we've had this season? Or, Unlikely. Or, or or are we going to see a little bit more of the same with a little bit more of a progression or a little a few changes? Hopefully not Jensen sealed the right back. Well, yeah, I was going to say we can forever hope to have uh, to have maybe a centre half pairing that doesn't involve Luca and I, but I don't know whether that's going to going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I'd mm. like to see Rusin come back in if possible um, if he's fit to go. Um, and I think other than that, I think maybe maybe Pritchard to start as well. I thought Pritchard was good when he came on at Millwall. He hasn't started many games recently. I know there's the debate whether he's better as an impact sub. I think Steve, I Steve's point Stephen makes. I think Stephen's probably right on that. But at the same time, I think with West Brom's sort of quite experienced side, having someone like Pritch who's a bit more experienced himself might be not a bad shout to do. 
Um, other than that, I'd say business as usual, but try and be more clinical. So that's why I think I'd like Rusin to start because I think Rusin's probably looked the most like scoring out of all the centre forwards that we have, and is also the more ex- most experienced of them as well. John, would you go with a with with with, with a similar kind of team? Yeah, I think Dodds is probably quite influential on the team anyway. And if mm. if we dwell on some of the words that Mowbray's been saying or what other people in and around the club have been saying, you, you kind of question whether Mowbray had complete autonomy over selection anyway and whether he was being influenced to start younger players anyway. So I'd imagine the full coaching team will pretty much be looking to keep going as, as it is. Um I can't. The, the 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 big sticking point is is who they're going to play up top. Because at the moment, it's just like throw him in, see if it works. Doesn't yeah. try the next one, try the next one. Now we're back round to like round two and round three now to see if it works again, um, which is getting a little bit depressing. Um, yeah, this it'd be good to have Huggins, a fit Huggins in the team. Um, I'm with Jimmy and quite a lot of us that I I, I struggle. To, to see 9 as, as a centre-back. Um, I think a lot of the things he gets credit for, i.e. his character, his his nous, his personality, all these sorts of things are actually, I think, um, are some of the negative things about him when he's on a pitch. And I think he, he loses sight of actually what we're supposed to be doing on a pitch. Like play fighting with opposition when we're losing and the clock's ticking yeah. down at Plymouth, that's just brainless, and it's not leadership. Um, His penalty he gave away. That's what yeah. If he was in the Premier League, he'd be given a penalty away twice a game every week because he does the same things, and he, he tries to be crafty, and he's starting to get found out now. And I just see him as a liability. I have no issue with him at right back, and I think he he's, he's fine there, and he can carry a ball, He's not in the middle where he has so much marking responsibility. He's he's all right in the air. He can do a job at, at right back. I'd be far more comfortable switching him and Hume because I think Hume has got slightly better discipline in a central role or maybe as a as a right side of a three. Um, and I'd probably have Seal in ahead of um, in ahead of uh, 09 at centre back at the moment. Um, in an ideal world, Elise would be fit and potentially he would be there. Um, it'd be great to have Sirkin back as well because, well, just on a on a daft front, you got those two goals at the Hawthorns last year. Yeah, and silly things like that happen in football where a player just likes playing against a certain team, and you just never know. Um, but he would um, he would help help Clark out a lot because I think at the moment Clark's on the verge of becoming a little bit predictable. And at the moment, his refusal to go to the byline, where I think he's quite effective in dragging the ball back, he saw he won a penalty there at Millwall. Um, it was very frustrating at Huddersfield, where you know sides are, are doubling up and tripling up on him now, and he just seems to be doing the same thing. And I think if he had someone like Sirkin supporting him, offering an overlap, it's going to pull another player away. It's going to make him maybe more. Well, it is going to make him more effective. Yeah. So it. A lot will depend on availability and how fit certain fringe players are at the moment. Um, I don't know what Pritchard has to do for a start. It'd be fascinating if he starts this weekend with after Mowbray going, then we may have an insight as to why he's not playing. But I'd like to see Pritchard play because he leads our press. He seems to be seems to have a, a real big degree of urgency about the way he, t- he 
He leads our attacks. He's he's hungry to get on the ball. He likes to get involved in the set pieces. He's got a good final ball on him. So, you know, we just I think I think there will be a response. I think players will be conscious that someone new's coming in and they can't mm. rest on their laurels. I think they are gonna have to prove something. There was a really I remember we were all there last last season at Norwich and I remember us doing um doing a reacto in the in the pub and you know it was very difficult to criticize the team that day because they responded excellently and yeah. we had really even processed Alex Neil leaving at the time because it was so bizarre the way it all kind of transpired on the Friday. And again that was another um lunchtime Saturday kickoff. It's gonna be slightly colder and wetter this this time around. But yeah, I mean hopefully um you know although as much as Dodsey doesn't want the job quite clearly doesn't want to be the man in the hot seat and once again the sky cameras are there with um on him and i i just think that hopefully the the reality is it's i wouldn't i don't like to use the term free hit but there is a little bit of pressure off and that you know phrase earlier the weight of the world off certain people's shoulders it is that they can play with a bit of freedom the expectation shouldn't be that we're going to run over a team five points ahead of us in the league when we're managerless and in a run of bad form. And hopefully we can, um, we can certainly turn some of these, this dominant possession and chances creation into some goals. So that's ultimately what we're not doing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So um, predictions then what's we'll go to you, you first Mick, what's your, what's your prediction for the game? Um, I'm going to go, despite all the negativity I've said, I hate predicting something to lose, so I'm going to go a 1-1 draw, but a really positive performance, and you come away from the ground, even though we've only drawn, but you come away feeling like quite encouraged by what you're saying. Cool. Jim, what's what's your prediction? Uh, last time I did the preview pod, I correctly predicted we'd beat Norwich 3-1, so I'm going to go for another correct prediction, but I'm going to go for 2-0 this time, so I think we're going to beat West Brom 2-0. Right. Okay. John? Uh, we don't keep clean sheets, so... But that, I'm going to back us to win 2-1. Um, so we'll just see, hopefully. Right. Well, I know predictions obviously don't have any effect on, on how things pan out in this game of things. So I'm I'm uncomfortably going to predict Sunderland are going to lose 2-1, uh, sadly. Because I think West Brom will just have too much for us on the day. Um, which is a real worry because you, you don't know when the next three points is going to come from. So yeah, it'll be fun. On uh, on Saturday, we'll probably have a reaction pod. Um, whoever's most most likely to present it will be will be with us to give their thoughts on the game against West Brom. Um, Gareth and Stephen will be back on Monday, and they'll be previewing the trip, uh, the visit of Leeds United to the Stadium of Light. But for now, thanks very much for listening.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.